With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Beth Bond coming to you live from Decatur, Georgia. And I am really, I know I say this about every guest, but today is a special day because we get to interview someone who has, I met through the sustainability community, but I can honestly say I consider him a friend now. And you are going to enjoy this conversation um, as we explore some really cool topics. Uh, We are going to be speaking today with John Lanier. He joined the Racy Anderson Foundation as Executive Director in May 2013. Serving in this role has been an immense honor for him, and he feels privileged to work with his family to advance the legacy of Ray, his grandfather. Prior to joining the foundation, Lanier was an associate attorney at Sutherland, Asbill, and Brennan, specializing in U.S. federal taxation. He represented the interests of various Atlanta-based nonprofits, gaining experience in nonprofit formations, compliance, and applications for recognition of tax-exempt status. Welcome, John. Hi, Beth. It's great to be on with you, and absolutely, we are friends. It's uh, really a, a privilege for me to count you as a friend and to come on your show as well, so thank you. Well, and let me just say, I just realized I left out the most important important part of your bio, which is you live here in Atlanta with your wife, Chantel, and your two-month-old son, Jr. Yes, we've been very blessed to welcome our first child to the world, first grandchild on both sides of the family. So it's uh, been a wonderful and new experience for a lot of us. That's awesome. Well, and, and that's sort of what the, the, the title today is for you. So um, I'm not sure I told you in advance, but I, I entitled the show, What It's Like to Have a Grandfather Who Changed the World. So um, let's tell people a little bit about who you are and your relationship to Ray C. Anderson. Ray was my grandfather, and... Um, you're, I, I love the title of the show. It's honestly that for the majority of, of my young life, it was no different than anyone else and their grandfather when they would have a wonderful relationship with a man who uh, cared about what they were studying in school and would take them to sporting events. That's what I remember. And to me, he was Daddy Ray. That's that's what all five of his grandchildren, my my two brothers and my two cousins, we all called him Daddy Ray. He was a diehard Georgia Tech fan, having graduated in 1956 uh, from Georgia Tech. And so, yeah, we would go to sporting events, and that's who I knew. The fact that he was the founder of Interface, which is the world's largest carpet tile manufacturer, that didn't really mean anything to me at a young age. And the fact that he, in 1994, would go on to try and uh, shift his company towards a more environmentally sustainable business model, again, that didn't resonate. In 1994, I was eight years old. I cared about the next baseball game I was going to go play. Uh, 
but I certainly did as I grew and grew. I came to appreciate just how special of a man he was, how transformative he was in, in his work. Now, let's tell people, most of my listeners um, who come from the site will know about Interface, but for those um, who are on Blog Talk Radio, tell folks a little bit about Interface and, and, and what they've done. It's one of my favorite stories to tell. Uh, the company was formed in 1973 in LaGrange, Georgia, a small little town right near the border with Alabama. And it, it brought the idea of carpet tile uh, to the United States, and that market segment then proceeded to grow rapidly. And Interface took advantage of that. In 1983, the company went public and expanded globally so that by 1994, it was doing about a billion dollars a year in sales, and it was the world's largest carpet tile manufacturer. And that's still true today, um, though the company has gone through a dramatic shift. Uh, it was that year, 1994, that Ray read a book called The Ecology of Commerce, written by Paul Hawken. And that book charges business and industry as the sector responsible for the greatest amount of environmental harm. But it also says that that's the sector that's large enough, well enough organized, well enough capitalized to lead us out of our environmental mess and to solve the challenges that have been created. And when Ray read the book, it was what he called a spear-in-the-chest moment, his personal epiphany, where he knew that his business and all business and industry had to change, had to move towards becoming environmentally sustainable. Uh, the amazing aspect of the story, though, is that as Ray began to steer this aircraft carrier, a publicly traded industrial manufacturing company, towards environmental sustainability, he was able to prove that when done right, sustainability can be good for the bottom line. It can be good for business. Uh, the company has uh, a long track record of unlocking new innovations and improving efficiencies and reducing waste, having more loyal workers and a more loyal customer base. All of it has made the company better both environmentally and from a profit standpoint. And it and it it, it it's easy to look back now and say, wow, right, because it is amazing what happened and the influence he had on his own industry um, is astounding, but it wasn't easy, <laughs> right? I mean, no. there was a lot of pushback initially. A lot of people thought he was insane. Uh, there were people inside the company who felt like he'd gone round the bend. He was 60 years old when he read The Ecology of Commerce. Most people would be thinking about retirement, and here he starts talking about fundamentally changing the company that he founded uh, 20 years into its existence. Uh, so he had to change a lot of minds, first inside the business and then outside the business. But he was able to do that because of his charismatic nature, his commitment to doing the right thing. That's what this was all about for him, is, um, a moral imperative to, to make these changes. Uh, and one person after another, and one by one by one, you all of a sudden have a culture change that occurred at Interface, and it wasn't Ray pulling people along with him. Because he changed the culture and changed the minds of people, the company 
innovated itself. He he would tell you that he's not responsible for the success that Interface had. Rather, the people of Interface are the ones who did it. And if he was their cheerleader and he had a part to play, he was honored to fill that role. But he was always grateful when he was alive to the people of Interface for uh, what they did through the company's transformation. And so that sort of leads us to the next sort of major step. Unfortunately, we we lost Ray, is it three years ago now? Oh, no, it's been five, over five years. Five. It's crazy. And it's really hard to believe. But August he left y'all an amaz- amazing task for the next generation. You guys became the story of what future generations look like. So tell tell people about what happened after he passed and about the foundation. Well, Ray decided to leave the majority of his estate to this family foundation that has his name on it, which is a truly uh, remarkable gift that he left. Our family feels so honored that we get to give to others in his name. Um, But he didn't tell anyone beforehand that this was his plan. Uh, So it caught us somewhat by surprise that overnight we were philanthropists as a family. Um, There were no instructions either on how to give. It really was left up to the family to figure out what to do with my grandfather's estate, but even more so with the legacy that he left to us. We knew that his name has been synonymous with environmentalism for two decades. So we it was easy for us to decide to focus on environmental initiatives in our charitable giving. But uh, it's been a bit of an evolution for us even within that that sector um, on how we want to give, the, the initiatives that really resonate with our passions that we think will make the most impact. And I have to, I have to give credit to my, my mother and my aunt raised two daughters. They were the ones who, uh, who stepped in and first and, and carried this forward. I was honored that they brought me on a couple of years after Ray had passed away. And then today, my father and my uncle are also trustees of the foundation. Uh, and then my, my siblings, my wife, my sister-in-law, my cousins, we're all involved as well as the next generation on our own committee. So it really is a family effort in trying to honor Ray and advance the causes he cared most about. Now, your mother and aunt are doing some pretty amazing um, work on their own level, but that is the perfect segue into what your generation is doing together. And so we wanted to, um, if people are interested, we'll give them the website. Um, They can get more information um, um, at the end of the show about, you know, the big big work you all are doing because it's some really exciting and major big work. But I sort of like the story of what, you know, that you and your brothers and um, y'all's wives and your cousins are doing sort of sort of aside from, a sort of like, it's like foundation plus work. Tell us yeah. a little bit about that. It was the decision of my mother and aunt fairly early on to prepare the next generation to be philanthropists because there will come a day, hopefully a, a long time from now, where my mother and my aunt uh, – are are ready to pass the baton to uh, their children to uh, to do this work, uh, but they didn't want us to 
all of a sudden stumble upon it without any preparation. So they have empowered us to identify initiatives that resonate with what we care about uh, and to go and make recommendations for funding in those spaces. So we've, uh, we've been organizing ourselves and talking about the issues that we care most about, and um, this year in particular, we've decided that climate change is something that um, we need to get serious about to the to the best of our ability. And I think that may be something that the the Board of Trustees does as well, but I'm, I'm certainly excited to see my siblings, my cousins, uh, the rest of this next-gen committee, all of us recognizing that um, climate change as an issue is something that is going to be impacting us for the rest of our lives and for our children's lives as well. So there's no debate in your generation about whether climate change exists or not. <laughs> no. No, we all uh we we respect the consensus of the scientific community as to the reality of climate change and um I gosh no it's relieving to not have to have that debate because it seems like a waste of time climate change is real we need to be working on the solutions not debating its reality right so uh, there's so much different as i like to remind there's some folks in my life and their only thing is climate change and that translates into an energy conversation but I try to continually remind them that climate change really is affected by every every decision we make, from the, the time we get up in the morning until the time we put our heads down, really actually has the uh, ability to affect climate change. So tell us how y'all have sort of decided to, because you can't fix it all, right? You can only fix whatever corner you pick. So how have y'all been sort of deciding where you're going to put your focus? It's an evolution for us. We haven't fully decided where the focus is going to be, but I will share both with NextGen and at the, the Board of Trustees level a few of the initiatives and organizations that just make a lot of sense to us. So first I have to give credit to my older brother, Jay Lanier. He lives in Asheville, North Carolina. He is an account executive with Interface, so he's carrying on the family business as well. Uh, but he serves on the board of a nonprofit called the Western North Carolina Green Building Council. And Jay, uh, at a, a conference uh, for foundations like ours, Jay sat in on a session where the great folks at South Face and the Candida Fund were talking about the Grants to Green program, which is a partnership here in the city of Atlanta where nonprofits are able to apply for financial assistance to increase the energy efficiency of their physical infrastructure. And the beauty of it is that these nonprofits, these, these nonprofits win in a very clear way. They get the benefit of paying less in utilities, and therefore they can do more of whatever it is their charitable cause is focused on. The environment wins because we have better performing buildings with uh, fewer associated carbon emissions. Uh, it's it's just a brilliant program. And my older brother said, gosh, why can't we do that in Asheville as well? And so uh, through the Western North Carolina Green Building Council, they have launched a relaunched, actually, an initiative called Appalachian Offsets. And it's a renewable energy credit um, sort of uh, an offset model so that anyone, any business or person who is interested 
in zeroing out their carbon footprint can come and purchase offsets to do so. But the nature of these offsets, there's lots of ways you can offset carbon. Some of them include planting trees, and that's great. Lots of important things that can be done. But this is where they borrowed from grants to green. And one of the ways in which they are generating carbon offsets is by attracting dollars from people purchasing offsets and using those to go and increase the energy efficiency of Asheville and the surrounding area, Western North Carolina, generally the nonprofits in that area. So a, a credit to my brother for um, helping to lead that. It was the Next Gen Committee along with the Candida Fund that offered the seed funding to make that happen. So a lot of innovation in that space, and that's the first uh, first program that we decided to fund as a Next Gen Committee. At the uh, higher level of the foundation, we have decided to support an initiative called Project Drawdown. And that is um, spearheaded by Paul Hawken, the guy who wrote the book that my grandfather read that changed his life. And what Paul and his team are doing is uh, a lot of research that will eventually be a book to be released in April of next year. And the book will profile 100 currently existing solutions that if we just scaled them up globally would have a measurable impact on the parts per million of carbon in our atmosphere. The idea behind it is we know that there are lots of smart things we could be doing, like switching to LED light bulbs and bike sharing and uh, car sharing. and uh, There are so many different things that would help in the fight against climate change. But we don't necessarily know which ones would give us the best bang for our buck. And that's what this book will show. What are the smartest, most effective technologies that can help us to actually draw carbon out of the atmosphere, mitigate its emission in the first place, and help us solve this challenge of climate change. Do you have any guesses about what you think it's, the results are going to be? Uh, the, the numbers are still coming in, and they'll have the book to the publishers um, at the end of this year. They are, they're doing outstanding work as fast as they possibly can. Uh, so it's still not fully known what the best sorts of technologies will be. But what I can generally say is that, uh, for the most part, we can point to Mother Nature herself as one of the best sources of removing carbon dioxide from the air. And we don't always think to just let Mother Nature do what she does best. Uh, so I would imagine that there's a good chance that land management practices are going to be some of the most important things that, uh, that can be prioritized when trying to draw carbon out of the atmosphere. Well, that's, that's very interesting. Um, because we always do that, right? We always over-engineer what the Earth does naturally anyway. That's true. That's true. We, we think we know better, but nature's been doing its thing for so, so long, longer than we have. And uh, there's some efficiencies that can be found there. There's um, certainly better ways, and we just need to work with nature and not against it. And that's the great hope of this climate change concern. I have to borrow from Paul Hawken again in, in phrasing it this way, but Paul will say we can think of climate change as happening to us, and if it's happening to us, it's a threat. It's something to be afraid of. Or we can think of climate change as happening for us. 
It's an opportunity. And when we think of it as an opportunity, yes, something that needs to be addressed and dealt with, but it will force us as a species to innovate in new ways that will move us closer to harmony with nature, that will hopefully result in better uh, equity for all people. And at the end of this, when we solve the opportunity of climate change, we will have created the best version of ourselves that has ever existed in the course of mankind. And if not for climate change creating the the momentum, the need, the, the, the push towards that, all the innovation that I'm confident will come, those things may never have happened. So um, positive thinking about climate change is actually needed right now. We don't want to just say that it's scary and terrible and something we should run away from in fear. That is a really helpful, wise, and profound way to look at it, right? Because, I mean, our human nature is, is to be afraid. I mean, we just have to look at the this 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 will last forever. But for people to get know the space and time, we broadcast this. We've just finished Hurricane Matthew, which you know had all kinds of dire predictions, and in some in some ways those dire predictions didn't happen. But in other ways, it happened much worse than anybody thought, based on what state you lived in, because it basically just swept up the entire eastern seaboard. Right. And right now, for a lot of people in North Carolina. They're hearing climate change and hurricane, uh, you know, ex- exponentially growth, and it's a really scary thing because they're out of their homes, right? Yep. And yep. so addressing sort of the equity issues and, and making sure that we are resilient, <laughs> to borrow another word today, um, and prepared for those kinds of things, um, and, and talking about the hope because we're going to, to me, the hope for someone suffering from the flooding right now is is we're going to make sure this doesn't happen again. Now you Absolutely. may have to move twenty feet off further, you know, further up off the bank of the river or something like that. But you know, there is a lot of hope for it, and I think I think you'll really appreciate this. And um, then then I will get off my soapbox and we will wrap up. But I was at um, a environmental slash climate justice event. And I was talking to a pastor, and she was saying that the scientist there's and i can't I don't remember who it is, but basically his quote has and it's become very well renowned in certain circles was we as scientists have been sort of you know saying, "Hey, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming, and it sort of shut people down emotionally and it made them depressed, and it made them have a lot of fear, and yet the church is where the church brings hope into whatever societal issue we're focusing on and that the church actually has the opportunity to lift and give people hope about this. And I think, um, Paul, and you have given us a great message to take to the church of saying instead of, you know, that we need to be the message of hope, that there is hope in this in this process, and it could actually not only change everything the way we know it, but could change it for the better. Absolutely. And another way to be hopeful in this is to think of the analogy of your pick your favorite sports team. And if they're in the championship game, take baseball. We're in the playoffs right now. Bottom of the ninth, game seven, down a run, two outs. You've got to score or you lose. In that moment, every single player in that dugout is saying to the person coming up to bat, you've got this. We're going to do it. We're going to win this thing. I don't care what the odds are. 
We're going to make it happen. No one's saying, oh, man, this is really scary. It's probably not going to happen. No, optimism, hope, that's what we need, and that's what's going to enable us to be successful in the, in the way I'm confident we will be. Awesome. I'm so excited. This is a great way to end the week, let me just tell you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank um, you. So we are out of time, and so I want to make sure that people, if they want to get more information um, about the um, foundation and, and stuff that you're doing and how they can interact with you and about your blog and everything. So if you'll give us that information, I would appreciate it. Sure. We'd love to be connected with as many people as possible. Our website is raycandersonfoundation.org. And in particular, I would be very honored if anyone listening would go there, find my blog called Ecocentricity. You can sign up for it to show up in your inbox every week when I write it. It's something I enjoy doing, and I'm grateful for every single reader. Great. John, thank you so much for your time, and we will have to do this again because we didn't even begin to touch all the cool stuff y'all are doing. I'd, I'd be happy to do it anytime. Thank you, Beth. Great. All right. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So John, John is one of the people who brings me hope because here he is, third generation of his family creating the next generation um of the family and they are all, everyone in that family is is involved engaged and is passionate about um tackling the the challenges we face but also embracing the opportunities that we have so um just so appreciative for John hopping on the phone with us today and um thank you to all our listeners we really appreciate you just like John appreciates his readers we appreciate our listeners uh to speaking of green and just re- reminder that you can always get um information or listen to uh, the episodes of Speaking Green on Southeast Green. And we've got, you know, 16,000 pages of information on people doing amazing things in sustainability in the southeastern United States. And if you are a business or a nonprofit, we um, invite you to join our Southeast Green business directory. It uh, gets you in front of people that are like-minded, but it also gives you some perks um, along uh, with some of the things we do at Southeast Green. And finally, if you are listening to this as a podcast, we really would appreciate you um, giving us a thumbs up. Ratings help us um, boost our ranking so more people can find us, and so we would really appreciate that. This is Beth Bond checking out from Speaking in Green with Life's a Peach by Jeff Heretics. Jeff and the Heretics. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.